Well, thank you, Caleb. What a joy it is to be at Pear Orchard Presbyterian Church this evening. It's a delight to look out and see many familiar faces uh, among you. You have a congregation that has been a blessing both uh, near and far to our family over the years. My wife, uh, Christy, and um, uh, my five children. We've had the chance at various times both to minister and serve among you, but also uh, just to sit uh, within your sanctuary and to worship and uh, be at the feet of the Lord through the ministry of the Word of Carl Cowerkamp from uh, years past. And I'm very grateful for my dear brother Caleb. We miss him in Middle Tennessee, but are so delighted uh, that he is here serving you. And uh, give great uh, thanksgiving, very honored and humbled to be here on this special occasion for my friend uh, Christian Brewer. Thank you, brother, for the invitation to be here and to the session of this local congregation uh, opening up your pulpit for the opportunity to preach uh, God's word uh, to you this evening. If you will, please turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. We're going to pick up the reading in Acts 20 and verse 17, and we'll be reading to verse 24. If you spend much time in the book of Acts, you know it is a fast-moving narrative of the spread of the gospel. You know it is theologically rich as it catalogs the growth of the church in the early days post the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and the fall of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. But one of the beautiful things, one of the things I love about the book of Acts is Luke, its writer, will slow down from that speedy advance of the gospel and give us, over the course of his retelling, uh, cameo portraits of the church that glimpses into what the life of a local congregation looks like and specifically giving us glimpses into the nature of pastoral ministry. And in Acts chapter 20, we have just such a glimpse The Apostle Paul is actually on his third missionary journey. Uh, He's been moving rather quickly. He wants to make his way to Jerusalem by the time of Pentecost. But as he comes to Miletus, he comes near enough to Ephesus. He's within at least 30 miles or so from a place in a congregation that he loves, that he served uh, no less than three years. We might say it was the Apostle Paul's favorite uh, congregation. And as he gets as close as he does to these elders who he served with for many years, he can't go by on his way to Jerusalem without taking a detour uh, to Ephesus and give to these elders, probably the last time he ever lays his eyes on them, uh, gives to them a charge. And in the charge that he gives to these elders, we see a picture, an incredible picture of what a minister's character should look like, what a minister's work should be about. And what a minister's hope is in the midst of ministry. So with that as an introduction, let's look together. Acts chapter 20, picking up our reading at verse 17. This is God's word. Now from Miletus, he, that is Paul, sent to Ephesus and called the elders to the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable 
and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not count my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Amen. And thus far the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, now as we attend to this word, having it read in your presence and in the presence of your people, we would ask that you would send the Holy Spirit to us and that he would speak to us much better than this preacher and that he would declare the mysteries and the glories of the gospel and would impress upon our hearts the importance of the local church and the work of the ministry of pastors. Lord, would you help us now to hear spiritually from this word, to read it, to mark it, to inwardly digest it, and then with the vigor of that same spirit, to put it to work into our hearts and our lives as we seek to apply it in every sphere of our existence. Hear this prayer, we pray, and answer it in Jesus' name. Amen. In preparing this message, I was reminded of a word from a gifted minister by the name of John Thornton, who was one time speaking to a fairly well-known Anglican evangelical pastor of the 19th century, Charles Simeon. John Thornton had taken Simeon under his wing and had been speaking to him about what pastoral ministry was made of, what its work consisted of, what it required to persevere within the work of pastoral ministry. And Thornton spoke these words to the young Charles Simeon. He said, watch continually over your own spirit and do all in love. We must grow downward in humility to soar heavenward in ministry. I should recommend your having a watchful eye over yourself, for generally speaking, as is the officer, so are the people. We have a saying at Cornerstone, so goes the leadership, so goes the church. So goes the officer, according to John Thornton, so goes the people. The Lord has determined to grow and mature his congregation through means, through the means of pastors and elders and deacons and leaders within a congregation. As we look at this text together tonight, we want to say, what kind of officer, what kind of preacher, what kind of pastor does Pear Orchard Presbyterian Church need? What kind of leaders does it need in order for this congregation to see yet even better days in the future, even more effective ministry as the fields are white with harvest and the laborers are few? 
I want to look very briefly tonight at seven characteristics that are given to us here of pastoral ministry, taking several phrases from the Apostle Paul's word to the elders in Ephesus. And the first word I want to impress upon you is the word humility. The word humility. Notice the Apostle Paul says that he served the church at Ephesus with all humility. Gospel ministry is performed in submission to the recognized lordship of Jesus Christ. That's what gospel ministry is. It starts when we know that we are underneath a Lord and a Savior in whom our call has been given and in whom all of the conduct of ministry is to be performed. Humility is the fruit of the character that arises from someone who willingly and lovingly submits to the lordship of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul knew this. He had to learn this the hard way. You might remember when his name was Saul. Back in Acts chapter 9, just a little bit earlier in the narrative of this wonderful book. Saul, who was a persecutor of the church, one who hated the gospel, who hated these newfound Christians. And then he encountered the Lord Jesus Christ. And on that road of Damascus, as he met the Lord Jesus Christ, he saw a blazing light and he fell upon the ground with blindness. And it was the Lord Jesus who spoke to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And in that humbling moment for the apostle Paul, the Lord speaks to Ananias in a vision and he says, I'm going to make of this man, Saul, whom you are afraid of and all of the other Christians, I'm going to make him a mighty instrument, a chosen precious instrument in my hand to accomplish my purposes. The Apostle Paul, as he was called into pastoral ministry, knew that it happened on the heels of humility. The Apostle Paul himself had to be humble. He had to learn that he wasn't in charge, that he didn't have everything right, that ministry wasn't about his agenda but it was about submitting to the lordship of Jesus Christ. One of my mentors, Larry Goff, years ago, Baptist Student Union Director at Jones County Junior College in the thriving metropolis of Ellisville, Mississippi. Some of you have probably visited that marvelous little town. Uh, Larry Goff, as he was speaking to me about pastoral ministry, said, you need to know the four spiritual laws of pastoral ministry. First, you need to remember there is a God. Secondly, you need to remember you are not him. The third thing you need to remember is you will confuse these two. The fourth thing you need to remember is get it right. Keep getting it right. Christian, that's true in ministry, isn't it? We must work under the lordship of Jesus Christ. We must recognize that knowing his gracious and benevolent lordship is the key to a humble and fruitful ministry. Notice, secondly, the Apostle Paul served the church at Ephesus with sincerity. I think we see this in a number of verses, but maybe one of the most poignant is there in verse 19 when he says he served them with all humility, and then he says with tears. He served them with tears. Now, I've often wondered, were these tears longing to see the church at Ephesus grow in grace? Were these tears of the loss of seeing people walk away from the faith? Were these tears of joy, seeing people's hearts changed by the gospel? And the answer is yes, yes, yes. Some of these were tears with joy, 
Many of these were tears of sorrow and of pain and of hurt. But there is no pastoral ministry without tears, without the sincerity that comes from being emotionally moved by the gospel itself and by the need of God's people. The Apostle Paul cared with genuine affection among those whom he served. He wasn't merely performing a duty. He wasn't simply drawing a paycheck. He wasn't checking the boxes of what, quote-unquote, faithful ministry looked like. This was a man who was moved with tears. And that sincerity of the Apostle Paul was moved because he perceived the love of God and he perceived the desperate need of the people that he served. Paul was one who served with sincerity. He wasn't a showman. You know, a showman is one who serves in order to get from the people, in order to gain from the people, accolade, to gain a sense of purpose and meaning and identity. Using people, as it were, they were resources to be consumed. No, a sincere ministry is one that so cares and loves the Lord Jesus Christ that the love that you have for Christ begins to spill over into love for Christ's people, the church. You recognize that tonight gathered around you are people whom Jesus shed his own blood to make his own. People who you will live with for all eternity. All eternity. You're just getting started, Pear Orchard. All eternity, the people whom Christ has purchased, you're going to dwell before his throne of grace with. Are we helping one another along the road to grow in grace? Are we serving one another with sincerity? Are we doing so with just a mere sense of duty or showmanship? Well, what's true is when you love the people of God with the love of God, then we'll learn to sacrifice for them. That's the third thing I want you to see in this passage, is that Paul was willing to sacrifice, third word, courageously courageously. Notice he served with all humility, with tears, and then with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. And then down in verse 23, it says, the Holy Spirit testified to me in every city that imprisonment and affliction await me. When you are called to pastoral ministry, you're called into a cosmic spiritual war. You're called towards the front lines. A pastor is one who runs towards the conflict when everybody else is fleeing. For the sake of Christ, for the truth, for the souls of men and women and boys and girls. This means that you're going to face opposition in ministry. And the Apostle Paul, well, we see that in spades when we look at his ministry, don't we, in Acts. A man who was whipped and stoned and dragged out to die and then entered into the city again to minister. A man who was genuinely on fire for the Lord. That same kind of fire that fell at Pentecost dwelled within the breast of the Apostle Paul. He longed to serve and to serve with courage. And he knew that those attacks sometimes would come from without. In this world you will have tribulation. And sometimes those attacks would come from within. For there are wolves in sheep's clothing even in the midst of the church. Uh, There are those congregation members who simply want you to speak um, warm and feel-good messages. There are those who simply want to be encouraged and never rebuked. There are those who simply want to hear about self-help messages and never corrected. There's always a temptation to compromise, to shrink back from what you know that the Lord has called you to do. Christian, the reality is that when you're afraid in ministry... 
You need the renewal of God's love. You need the example of the Apostle Paul because there is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out such fear. It calls us into the courage of ministry. Courage is the spiritual strength that comes from seeing the love of God and embracing his call and knowing that we are in the safekeeping of our Savior when we are at home in his mission for us. When we're at home in his mission. Listen, humility without sincerity and courage will give way to compromise. Courage without humility and sincerity will become personal preference. But these three together make for a backbone and a tender heart. I want you to see fourthly that this ministry is a ministry that's word-centered. Notice notice how comprehensive this word and instruction is from, from Paul in verse 27. He didn't shrink from telling the whole counsel of God. He preached Leviticus and he preached his favorite psalms. He was willing to look into the hard passages and the easy passages. He preached the whole counsel of God, driving God's people to Christ. Notice he preached pastorally. Anything that was profitable, repentance and faith, verse 20. He preached pastorally. He knew the needs of the congregation. He declared it corporately in public, we're told, in verse 20. And then he went personally from house to house in that same verse. He recognized that there needed to be a micro-sharing of the word as much as there needed to be a macro-sharing of the word. That he had to know people's hearts, not just the word of God, but he had to know the word of God in relationship to people's hearts. And notice he didn't care who it was he was preaching to. He would do it to Jews or he would do it to Greeks. Verse 21, he was an impartial preacher. He kept from favoritism. He loved the church of Christ that Christ had purchased and of which he was stewarding in ministry. He was a man who was committed to a word-centered ministry. Fifthly, he was a man considered committed to a spirit-led ministry. Notice verse 22, he was constrained by the Spirit. It literally means he was bound by the Spirit. We might say there was a a bit put in the mouth of the Apostle Paul and he was turned as a horse would be turned by a bit. But his bit was that of the Spirit. The Spirit was the one in whom he was constantly being led. There's a temptation in ministry to be overly calculated to be overly strategic, to have an agenda, to want to bear certain kinds of fruit, the kind of fruit that people look at and think that matter, and yet not really pay attention to the fact that Jesus is Lord of the church and the Spirit is the life of the church, the one who's really at work. Now, the Spirit is the one who abides with us. We have to just pay attention to the one who is at work in this body, and we must follow his leading. We must be constrained by the Spirit. A minister of the gospel is one who in humble submission to Christ is paying close attention to the work of the Spirit and getting in the path of the work of the Spirit to see the effectiveness of the work of God among his people. Sixthly, notice that a minister of the gospel must be self-forgetful. Notice Paul's words here, but I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself. Can't tell you how many ministers that I'm regularly in touch with or speak to where the focus of their ministry is self-preservation. Oh, let's don't touch that, Pastor. 
That might make the people upset. That might put the job in jeopardy. But Jesus might want to touch that pastor. That's a a sin area that needs to be addressed. That's a mission endeavor that needs to be given. The people of God may need to be challenged in this way. You know, pastoral ministry can be a lazy man's dream. We only work on Sunday anyway, right? Right? It can be one of those things where if you're not giving yourself to the work of God throughout the week, caring for the flock, strategically thinking about work of the Spirit in the life of the body, it can be very tempting to simply be in self-preservation mode rather than to be self-forgetful. To be willing to do whatever it is that Christ has called you no matter what it is that it costs you. That's the spirit of this. The evidence of this kind of humility, of this kind of self-forgetfulness comes when we remember that we follow a crucified Christ who purchased this church. How could we be a people who wouldn't be willing to take up the cross daily and follow him and still call ourselves Christ followers? He made himself nothing and didn't even consider equality with God a thing to be grasped. And yet titles and paychecks and approval ratings can very often be the plague of pastoral ministry. Self-forgetfulness. But where does that self-forgetfulness come from? Well, seventh and finally, it comes from a single-minded devotion. I don't know about you, I have a very hard time not thinking about myself. I've tried to just stop thinking about myself. I've said to myself many times, stop thinking about yourself. And when I say stop thinking about myself, you know what I do? I think about myself when I do that. I find it very difficult to stop and be self-forgetful. You know where the mind must go? To a single-minded devotion. You see, you won't be self-forgetful until you are Christ-remembering. Until the beauty of who Jesus is and the glory of the church and the ministry call of which the Lord has placed upon the ministers of the gospel become the all in all of your life. Notice what Paul's single-minded devotion was. If only I may finish my course. If only I may finish. The ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus Christ to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. This is where self-forgetfulness is born. It's born when we are so Christ-captivated and so Christ-remembering and so ministry-filled that we are learning to give our lives, to be spending and to be spent for the cause of the Lord Jesus Christ and in this finding our joy. For the joy that was set before him, he what? Endured the cross, despised the shame. And he sat down at the right hand of our God in heaven. Listen, the Lord Jesus, at work in the Apostle Paul through the power of the Holy Spirit, finished his course. As I read these words in Acts chapter 20, I can't help but remember the swan song of the Apostle Paul, 2 Timothy chapter 4, when he wrote these words, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. You know, the way we spend our days, Annie Dillard says, is the way we spend our lives. 
How do you spend your days? What are you committed to? What does your checkbook say you're committed to? What does your calendar say you're committed to? What are you willing to sacrifice for the cause of the Lord Jesus Christ? When we begin to take joy and delight in Christ and his call upon our lives, whether in an official capacity as a minister of the gospel or whether as a faithful disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, in which there are many in this room, the fact is the joy of the Lord becomes our strength and the meaningfulness and the purpose of life begins to be revealed. For the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Praise be to God for the ministry and the work of Pear Orchard Presbyterian Church, for the legacy of faithful ministers and leaders and members of this congregation. Your reputation goes before you, and it's a good one. But it's not yours. It's the fruit and the character of the Holy Spirit and the Lordship of Christ at work in this body. And by God's grace, through a new minister added to your ranks, May even greater seasons of effectiveness and fruitfulness be yours in the days to come. Let's pray to that end right now. Father in heaven, we would pray that as we take in the portrait of what it means to be a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, what it means to be faithful in service to you, we would pray that you would make these realities memorable in the life of this congregation and realities that would grow to bear so much fruit in the days ahead that there would be no way that the pastoral staff, the leaders, or the membership of this body could take credit for it. It would be so beyond the realm of possibility, beyond wildest imaginings, that the world itself would have to look at this church and say, only God could do that. Lord, would you hear that prayer? And in the boldness that it's prayed, with the spirit who I know can turn hearts and lives upside down and communities inside out, which is to be right side up, we would pray that you would do just that work among these, your people. Bless them with the spirit and the power of the gospel. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.